Hello, this is Debbie Reynolds of the David Diva Talks Privacy Podcast. Our special guest today is Susan Brown, who's the executive chairwoman and founder of Zortrex Vault and Zortrex Software, where she helps customers protect data using advanced encryption and tokenization interception technology. Hello, Susan. Hi, Debbie. Lovely to have you. It's funny. So you and I have talked at length uh, on LinkedIn and you and I had like messages back and forth. I remember some nights I'd be up like to two or three o'clock in the morning and you're like, before your coffee, we were like texting about different things. I think you've always been super vigilant about certain threats and things that happen in, you know, the cybersecurity industry. And you're very passionate about cybersecurity and protecting individuals. I would love for you to to introduce yourself. Um, You are, you know, quite a dynamo and I love people to to get to know you and your company and the things that you're interested in. My background is financial and in the last 15 to 20 years, watching people's accounts being totally emptied until you see the back end of what is actually happening with these people, it's devastating. There's only one word for it, it's absolutely devastating. I mean, you work in the financial industry, there is a lot of trust there within uh, the business or the customers. So this went on, um, I've worked with the bank, I've worked with um, Scottish Widows, um, worked with the government, uh, doing grants and what have you. And in 2012, I thought, okay, I'm going to start my own business. So I started um, with an accountancy. So that started on the 1st of April, 2013. And since then, I now have five businesses. I did say 20 years ago, me? No. Got a job for life. Well, there is no jobs for life. So basically, um, it grew. I worked with some of the best um, developers and architects, basically just doing their accounts. Didn't realise that I had a passion for cybersecurity. Um, so I would get up early in the morning and how does a computer work? How does a phone work? <laughs> to where I'm today. And even now designing what we have been designing, the, the Zortrex Token Vault, which I'm so proud of and we're releasing this week uh, the black box, the ZTE black box uh, for the um, tokenized database, SQL database. So we all seen it in full swing last night and I just, oh my God, it's it's worked. Because <laughs> you see things, you try different things or you go back to the drawing board. Um, but I'm so proud of what I've achieved, Debbie. Um, this is a must-have to secure data to secure people's identity. Identity's fallen off the cliff and it's it's quite dangerous at the moment because they're, they're also giving away the biometrics. And when that's gone and if the biometrics is not being secured, a lot of people think biometrics is security. It's not, it's access management. And these people going to court trying to fight to save, keep the, their identity for them to be thrown out of court. And the bad actors are winning. They, the courts think they're the real person. They know absolutely everything about you. To the person who is the real person, um, having no identity at all. I'm actually being looked upon as, as the criminal. So three years ago, I brought Zortrex to market. Um, and I'm going to really um, do my best to try and push this data security. At the same time, GDPR was going to be implemented the following year in May. So it was um, it was a long shot. Um, I've had to fight to 
basically educate people. And at the end of the day, they talk about the big giants or they talk about how um, people on Facebook, they don't have a brain, basically. And who cares? Well, I care. Right. You know? Exactly. They might not understand the process. Now, understand that they don't understand the process. I understand the process, but I'm happy to fight for them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We, we are human beings. If our data is important to the Facebooks and the Googles and what have you, then it's important to me. You know, I always see that you're incredibly passionate about what you do and you're passionate about, you know, protecting individuals. And I really like when you're talking about the difference between, uh, you know, managing identity and managing access, because people do get that confused a lot. And it is really important because you're right, especially with biometrics, if someone can steal your biometric information, they can impersonate you possibly better than you could you know they can answer those questions that you know security questions that people pose to you and in terms of being able to protect yourself the laws really haven't caught up especially with things like definitely biometrics but even like you know we're in the wild west about deep fakes and you know what is real and what isn't one thing that that I struck me about your profile is that you were saying that cybersecurity threats have a psychological element to them, and, and you sort of try to think about it like an inside-out type of way. Like, what what do you think a cyber criminal would be looking at, or you know, what they would be uh, interested in, and how how people can be less vulnerable? So, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Cyber criminals are watching every move that people are doing, the the digital footprint. And when you've worked in the financial industry, I caught on a long time ago how that is managed and how it's done. And also when you work in the financial industry, um, when there's a compromise uh, or there's a breach and, and we have a certain limit of hours to find how that breach happened, where it happened and who's who's responsible. Um, you, you need to start thinking like a, a, a criminal to understand what they're doing and what, what will be the next moves. So I started looking at that last year when the, biomet- the uh, biometrics got stolen. And with threats, we're bringing mobile security. So if you think about it this way in the IMEI number, the IMEI number should be secured. Right. The minute they use the um, biometrics to open up the phone to read a message or make a payment, that same, because the phone is now being cloned, that actor is getting all the authorization codes and going in and taking over the bank account. And that was really quick for me to, to, to realise. We call them cyber criminal bad actors. They are really good actors. Right, yeah. They, I mean, they're really actors. And I keep on saying, I'm Susan Brown, but I'm a really... And people go, what? <laughs> but it makes people think differently. I mean, are you, are you Susan Brown? Do you have SAR checks? Right. So, yeah, it does make people think. In my career in IT or going to board meetings, the IT were never asked. CEOs really, I mean, at the end of the day, well, it's IT. This shouldn't really discuss that here in the board. They just want to know what the figures are, what's the dividend, What's the profit? Why have we got a loss? And then talk about the loss or talk about the KPIs. When you, when you look at how many years this has actually went on, 
you, you made a post this morning, yesterday or this morning, Debbie, and it was about the antitrust. I, I would still like to think that the regulations is there to protect people. Right. But even over the last three years, the trust has eroded from the regulations. We've spoke at, we both have spoke at length about GDPR and what have you. And you've got NDAs and, and confidentiality rules with whoever, whatever customers you're working with. So you really cannot disclose. But what comes first, a regulation or um, a document? We've also spoke at length about how whistleblowers have been treated within the company. Right. And I, I do understand both sides, but at the end of the day, it's not... If there, if there is a problem, I mean, Zortrex procedure, if there's a problem, we have open-door policy. They don't have to go to the line manager. They can come directly to me. Right. Because I want to know if there is a problem, so, it, one, it can be addressed. Absolutely. Insider threats have started to increase in the last couple of years, more so now, especially this year. Mm-hmm. But if your staff feel that they can't come and knock on the door at any time to say, hey, I've noticed this or I've noticed that, you're never going to know. Right. I had a meeting yesterday with the New York State Bar Association. I'm on their technology committee. And so the, the purpose of it is to educate like lawyers about these issues. And uh, one of the, the key points that we all came away with is that you have to have a culture of cybersecurity. You have to, you know, you do have to have those open doors. A lot of, you know, for example, the example you gave about someone getting their bank account cleaned out, like that's such a hot issue because it happens a lot. Like for example, in real estate where let's say a hacker has infiltrated someone's system and they're just watching the communications and someone says, oh, I need to send my bank account number. They get an email that looks like it's from the same person. And they say, well, we changed the bank account number. You send it over. And those people, you know, often don't get any of their money back. So they like their life savings are completely gone because of that. And a lot of those situations happen because maybe the person that's doing the payment is afraid to talk to their boss or their manager and say, wait, you know, this thing has changed. You know, I'm concerned about this. And you really have to have those open lanes of communication. Also, one thing that you mentioned I want to talk a little bit more about is board membership. So, uh, you know, I've seen in some corporate situations where they very much devalue like the technology part. So they think whatever business they're in, that's so much more important than the technology. And right now, so much of what we do is dependent on technology and dependent on data. And some of these companies, if they're not really listening and having an open door to those cybersecurity professionals that are, or data privacy professionals that are trying to educate and protect them, you know, some of these companies end up going out of business. You know, not everybody is a Facebook or an Equifax, and they can they can recover from a cyber attack. Um, but one thing I want, uh, in addition to the board membership thing, I would love for you to explain just tokenization and how it works, because that's your business. It's a fantastic te- technology. And we are about, I would say at the moment, about four years advanced in, in technology. We all know Visa and MasterCard are tokenizing the PAN number along the credit card. We tokenize everything on that credit card. So tokenization is taking that data, changing the data to, so I'm Susan Brown, but I'm actually Debbie Reynolds. I'm a date of birth is this, but it's actually something totally different. To the point that no one can data harvest that data. If one token was compromised, so 
we token everything one token at a time. So basically, um, say for instance, in twenty years, the, the the bad actors got in and compromised one token. It's absolutely fine because they'll get the name, whatever name's on that. It's never the real name anyway. So they've just wasted all the time going through all the different levels of security to just get a person's name. And then they go on to the second one, which is a total different tokenization, a different token, and try and do the same process all over again and can't do it. So tokenization is basically... um, changing the data, changing the raw data to synthetic data, but that token will work as if it's the real data. You've probably heard and said, oh, we can tokenize this and we can tokenize that because it's so exciting. I mean, sometimes I need to pinch myself because basically tokenization is tokenization. And for tokenization of devices, it's just a change in configuration. So we want to tokenize a device. We want to tokenize the IMEI number, or we want to tokenize um, personal data or healthcare data. It's all different configurations that we can put in on the security of that token. And if you think about the the seven levels of security within the tokenization process for, for tokenizing data, there's even more levels of security for detokenizing that data. And it's all managed. So one is this is this um, come from the same device, the same location? So it goes through a number of areas within the token before that token will be will be de- detokenized, so they can see what the raw data is. So if you can imagine the database, which I, the the black box has got, I think one hundred thirty seven different fields. You're talking about one hundred thirty seven different tokens, and this this outweighs the hackers for a start because. If there's no value to a token, they're not going to waste the time to go into it. The token can also be controlled from the bank account and credit card accounts. So basically, with Visa MasterCard, you can use that token four or five times and then start the process all over again. You should never really do that because then that token becomes a value. It's being used four or five times, whereas it's a, a different token every transaction. So if you're going to Amazon and pay for something, and you say, oh, I should have bought that. And then you go directly back in and, and, and purchase what you forgot. It's a totally different token that never matches that uh, the first token that was used on Amazon or, or another um, shopping channel. So our roadmap is um, exciting to say the least. I'm now looking at totally different, other different inventions that people have said, Susan, you're mad. And then come back two, three weeks later and say, actually... How did you manage to do this? Because you're right, it can be done. Yeah. So it is exciting, but it is a new technology, and I have to be very careful for security reasons on what is tokenization, how do we do it, because, well, that's magic sauce. Yes, of course, yes. Explain to me how tokenization, the way you're thinking about it, is different than encryption. So with encryption, encryption, you've got the keys there to protect, to de-encrypt. With tokenization, there is no encryption keys at all. Um, it's the token that authorizes the, that matches the token to, to open the data and what have you. So it's totally different. You don't have um, all the keys to keep safe from bad actors as well as the, the, as well as the data. But even when you look at encryption, to me, encryption has had its day because 
I've actually watched ethical hackers de-encrypting milliseconds. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I guess one thing that I think about when I'm talking about cybersecurity, and a lot of people, I don't know, I feel like people who don't understand cybersecurity, they think about protecting data almost like a castle. So it's like I have this castle and I'm going to protect the walls and the walls are thick and the walls are tall, then I'm protected. Um, but the problem is a lot of times the threat that you have can jump over the wall, they can go through the wall, they're in the castle already. Uh, so how do you protect, like if someone was already in your infrastructure, how do you protect the data once they get in? And, you know, I don't know, you seem to, because you keep track of this a lot, about a lot of the, the hacks that happen in these big companies. And a lot of times it's like once the intruder is in, inside they can do all types of stuff so i think the reason why i am very attracted to tokenization is because you can do it at a data level so let's say if someone did infiltrate your infrastructure and they got into certain per personal data uh they that data will be useless to them uh you know so that uh i mean i want to know your thoughts about that because you watch all these hacks and you watch all the the news about people um uh, having these data breaches. And to me, it's, kind of, it's very saddening to see the damage that can happen once someone gets into your infrastructure. First of all, when it comes to the infrastructure, there is no data in, in our infrastructure at all. It's all tokens. So um, if our infrastructure was compromised, it's, and there is no tokens. The, the data's not there. Uh, the, the data is in the vault which is locked away, uh, locked away and it's not even in, it could, might not even be in the same country, it might be in the same country, um, it all depends. So even if they did try and compromise the fortress, there is nothing there for them to take of value. And, and then if you, if, if you think, how can that possibly happen? At the moment, you've probably heard people talking about island hopping, so smart cities are being built. And the bad actors are going to go in. And in World War II, Enigma Time, what they would do is um, jump from here to here to there to get to their main target. And we're talking about soldiers. And now in the 20th century, this is what the bad actors are doing. They're jumping from device to device to, to get to the target to the point that um, Hewlett Packard have got a bounty out just now to um, check the print cartridges. And people think, a print cartridges? This is nonsense, but it's not. I mean, anything basically with a chip in it or connected to the internet um, is, can, can, can actually be compromised. So although all these smart houses are being built, which is, is great on technology, but at the end of the day, fridges, if you run out of milk, it can purchase it for you. Who on earth would want a device to be able to get access to their, their banking details and order their groceries, for, for instance? When we look at tokenization of a smart house, is securing every single device. I mean, when it was first spoken about in the ring doorbell, now even people are using that against the police because it's first getaway. What can be used for the good can be used for the bad. There's always an opening and there's always a gap. Absolutely. I think sometimes people are so enamored with 
the possibility of what technology can do and they don't really think about the harms. And I totally think about that. And actually your example about the refrigerator that, that orders milk for you, this is, that exists for really. And I'm not sure, I would never use that. I'm not sure who would, but some <laughs> people do. Some people really want that. Um, but I think too, people assume that they have more protection than they do. So I think when you put these things in your houses, you almost have to be your own IT cybersecurity person to know the best way to protect yourself. Or for me, I just don't bring them into the house. So that's like the easy thing for me. But even, you know, like your Wi-Fi connection or just the internet of things, stuff that you have in your house. Like, for example, I'll ask people like, how many internet devices do you have in your house? And they'll say, they'll say their phone, They'll say their computer, you know, they don't say their vacuum cleaner. They don't say their thermostat. They don't say the smart speaker, uh, the TV, the, the smart TV that they talk to. Anything with the Internet uh, connection can be breached. And, you know, it has obviously connection to the Internet, but it's collecting data as well. And depending on the country you're in, you know, that may or may not be legal, but I feel like uh, what a lot of these companies are doing because, you know, they're, they're creating a product and they're selling a product. So once you as a user purchase the product, it's sort of your, you know, whether you're a per, uh, individual or a business, you know, you have to wear your cybersecurity or data privacy hat to figure out and what I'm doing. Is it even legal to do or is it even safe for me to do this? You made a few valid points there, Debbie. So basically, you go into Curry's and you buy um, a smart fridge and you walk out the door, oh, do you want insurance for extended warranty for five years, but you only get a year warranty? But these smart devices, you're not, you're not being advised that you need security. You, you're not being advised that it's, it's lacking this, this and this. And this is the features. This is what it can do for you. So that's a big a big massive problem in, in, in the consumer's um, market. You mentioned the thermostat. Can you imagine that being compromised? I mean, it's people's health, it's, it's, it's absolutely everything because there's different people suffer from different disabilities. People really need to take the, the security on these devices more seriously. I mean, now, now even the devices are getting a bit more personal that need secured. The contact tracing app, and although it's an area that I don't mind talking about because one, it's so important because if we're hit with another pandemic tomorrow, right. um, how would it cope? And to me, it wouldn't cope too great. Trust is going so quickly, but the cyber criminals never stop. They're, not, they, they, they're just not interested in this, this COVID going on. People are, are worried and, and a lot of people will be are ill over it. They will use that to their advantage. Absolutely. Every single time they'll use it to their advantage. Absolutely. But to go into a shop to buy these smart devices or even put your money down to buy a home, especially with what smart um, devices is in it. Right. Is insurance companies use, looking at this to insure or to put a double or treble premium on it? Yeah. It's hitting every single market. If I was going to be totally open and honest, I think security of data has lapsed for a long, long time. Yeah. And so much because it's lapsed on the most important aspect of economy growth. Right. We're, we're in a recession. If they got hold 
or secured people's data and, and the financial transactions and everything like that. The billions that's lost would actually put them back up, back up in a growth, a growth area that they can say, you know, we should have did this years ago. Right. But because it all lacks the security, now even the devices. I remember even here in the UK when we had the manufacturing way back in the 19, um, 1980s, 90s, and it was all done and stamped by British standards. There is nothing like that. It's totally gone. Right. And people wonder why people wonder why it's as bad as it is. Right, exactly. And consumers, they don't think how what this device is built, what's in it, no. um, can it can it be compromised? Right. And then you look at the all the medical devices, they've already started on the medical devices. Right. Yeah, that's really serious. It's really serious. I mean, when you look at privacy or any kind of medical um, condition, I've been there myself, as you know, Debbie, many, many years ago. And even then, I'm just a number and my son's a number. So I've been very fortunate in the privacy of medical data. Not everybody is. Yeah. But I still care that their, their medical data should be secured at the end of the day, we have ransom. It's getting it's exponentially growing. There's going to be other other attacks and compromises. I don't know on both hands how many healthcare um, hospitals has been um, compromised. But at the end of the day, the um, people will die. And if I have to shout out every day, secure the data, secure that individual mm-hmm. because that individual's life is important. Mm-hmm. If we can save one, a hundred, a thousand, a million, it's all worth it at the end of the day. And what do you think, I mean, we touched on, you touched on a little bit in terms of the COVID pandemic, how do you think that's changed things for better or for worse for individuals or for companies? What are you seeing in your, your practice? Basically in my practice, we've been very fortunate. When the COVID happened, um, everybody started to work from home. Um, we did a refurbishment here in the office and changed all the office procedures for customers coming in and basically for our, for our staff. My staff are very trustworthy, so basically if anybody close to them has had to get a test, we are communicating back and forward. They came back to work in the end of September and then there's other lockdowns happening or someone in the street or someone's kid who went to school, their parents got COVID and what have you. So it's, it's worrying. But businesses are not being advised by the government. What do we do? Right. Then you maybe have some staff playing on the fact, hey, I find some 14 days off of work. Self-isolation. It's not being checked up. Businesses, there's no way for a business to, to realise um, that this person doesn't does not need to isolate. So if you look at right. it, it's hitting businesses. It's hitting the homes... My parents, my parents have never, my father's never been out because if he got COVID, it just wouldn't survive it, basically. But when you're reading articles of your data going to different corporate, different companies, different corporates, the police, medical data has to stay medical. If I was married, my partner died tomorrow and he had said, full confidentiality. They wouldn't be able to tell me what he died of. Right. But all of a sudden, a pandemic that every company can, 
use the phone for contact tracing that. Where are you? Um, I mean, I understand the location, right. but it's not being secured. Everybody knows that Bluetooth isn't secure, Debbie. Right, yeah. It then makes me wonder, is this just basically another ploy, another spying thing? Yeah. We, we spoke about the figures on the COVID at the very beginning. I was talking to a friend of mine. And I just could not get my head around it. It just did not make sense. Mm -hmm. If all these thousands of people have got COVID and they're dying, we would see people drop down in the streets, mm -hmm. not being able to breathe or, or need medical help. I'm not seeing that here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've not seen it over the last six, seven months. But obviously every country is different, so I, I can't really comment on what's happen happening in your, in your arena. Yeah. But at the same time, people are wearing masks. People going to the shops are wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Some children, they leave the school when the masks come off. Right, yeah. And the parents are at work and they just don't know that the kids are wearing masks and what have you. It's like, it's rules if they go to this place, but different rules once they leave. Right, yeah. And, and the, problem's just, the problem just keeps on um, evolving round and round. In terms of like security threats or uh, what, what do you see or what would you like to see in the future? What would you like to see change in terms of either technology, regulation, if you had your druthers and, and you rule the world, what would be the change that you'd like to see in terms of privacy or cybersecurity? Basically, the strength in regulations in the company, in the company for making the company and starting up in business to be checked that they have everything in place before they even actually start in business so they can protect the customer's data, if it's financial, protect the financial transactions, if it's medical, um, to secure the medical information, to put the customers first. In the last 20 years, Debbie, you, 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 you want to buy this, within two seconds you have an email, please verify your account. There is no know your customer, there is just no process there. I've also watched companies saying, oh, we, we paid the company £50,000 um, because they sent us an invoice in. I mean, in 30 years in the financial industry, you have the processes from step one, step, step two, step three. So you can go to the purchase order, yeah, this is finished, and you can pay the person. So it's telling me even the accounts, the processes have been all been missed all the way through all the new companies. And again, Technology is a problem with that because it's like, hey, invoice on or invoice on the go. What are they using? Bluetooth? Right, exactly. So you're talking from start right through to the end of any cybersecurity being taken as one of the very first processes to secure the population. When you look at the whole process, and in the, even in 2023 when the, um, the uh, drug supply chain acts coming out, and this is going to be every chemist and what have you. At the moment, chemists are doing this and flu jabs and all the rest of it. But how, again, are they securing the data? Right. Yeah. And why, why, is, why is the gaps in the regulation allowing it to happen? Regulation has to be at the forefront of everything that we do. I agree. And it needs to happen. I don't know. To me, it feels like a lot of these problems, we all, these are problems that we're all facing, right, with COVID and privacy. And so there are so many different countries that are trying to do regulations now and trying to work on enforcement. 
But I feel like some of these things, maybe at a higher international level, we should have some type of agreement just on basic things, you know, like, you know, hacking is bad. I don't know. <laughs> You're making a real about point there, Debbie, because, I mean, in the last month or so, EU have, have um, stipulated that um, the, the, the data transfer going into the EU it has to be secured and what have you. So, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant that the EU is taking security first. So there is other countries that's followed suit. But to me, every, com every country has to follow suit. And that includes the UK, because come the 31st of December, we become a third country. And basically, who would allow unsecured data coming through, especially if, if it could be compromised? If they let it through and it ends up in and it ends up in the EU, then who's responsible for allowing that data transfer through? Exactly. Yeah. And businesses have to keep on moving, but they need to take security seriously. I think the turn of the year, especially for the UK, is going to be um, it has to be a massive change for the UK. Absolutely. And when we talk about tokenization, and I ask the question every day: Who's who's your customer? And you've probably seen the, the posts and what have you, tokenization for everyone. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you look at it this way, and if every citizen in the world came to me to secure their data, what would the big giants do? What would the companies do? Because there would be no access to the data unless the person allowed them access. That's right. And it's like turning the tables from what companies, it's not just a case of ticking the box to consent. That, that wee box does not say that you can disrespect my data. But once it's, once it's been taken, who knows what's happened behind that laptop? I think the shift is happening from the company focus to the focus on the individual. So to me, that tokenization goes in line with that. And I think that's the way the world is going to have to be in the future. Because other than that, you know, I think it starts to carve into businesses problems as well because they're you know, uh, they're experiencing fraud and data breaches as well. So being able to have individuals secure their data and be able to have more control over their data is really important. We're almost at the top of our time. But I would love for people to know, tell me again about your company and let people know how they can reach you. Basically, Zortrex is um, cybersecurity, it's tokenization. Um, they can reach us at www.zortrex.co.uk. There is also a platform on there that they can register and play around with the tokenization that what would be more suitable for the company. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. They can reach out to me on Facebook or, or Twitter. But I, have to, I really have to say, Debbie, everybody's been so supportive on social media. And, and the word is now really getting out, out there um, to the point that my inbox is not really from customers. It's about citizens. Right. Is this going to be expensive? I want to... My account got hacked last week. I want to secure my data. At the end of the day, I love to raise awareness because if it reaches one person, it's done a bit of good. Absolutely. Yeah, you're doing a great job. I always see you out there. You're always putting out information to educate people. And we always talk on our posts and I always comment on your stuff. It's really great. Um, and I'm really happy and proud of all the work that you're doing. You know, we're all such good supporters of you. Uh, and we love to see, you know, you thrive and the company thrive and also just have more awareness for individuals about how to, individuals and companies for how best to move forward and in. in the, this new world where we're trying to really push 
privacy and data protection and cybersecurity? There's a lot of young developers reaching out to me over the last couple of months. Um, how can we work with you? We, we understand some parts on tokenization, not at all, but we'd love to, to have the opportunity to work with you. I've had companies um, want to collaborate with us and partner with us and find out more about how we can help strengthen their solution. Um, so it's, it's been a mixture of, of, of different kind of individuals. A lot of people think that tokenization is blockchain. That you, do, you can do tokenization and blockchain through um, ERC20 tokens and what have you. But we actually, at the moment, um, have the two products in digital security. Uh, mobile security, cloud security. I mean, everybody's heard about the containers and how much data's gone. Do you know, it takes us nine minutes to bring on a new customer. Nine minutes is all it takes to secure the data. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I would love for people to reach out to Susan, take a look at her, especially on LinkedIn. You do a lot of, you know, good educational things for people, not only about the company, of course, but just about the threats and what's out there. It's really important. So, well, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. I was really proud that you said that you would come on because the work that you're doing is so important. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Debbie. Thank you for having me.